the food habits that we form in our childhood are likely to stick with us through adulthood. And we're going to talk through how to build your family friendly meals. And we're going to talk through the importance of the family meal from a health wellness community standpoint. And that's what we're discussing on this episode of the Smart Nutrition Made Simple show. Welcome to the show where we help you make smart nutrition simple. If you want proven nutrition strategies to help you build a better body, and create the energy to show up for your family without overly restrictive and unrealistic dieting, then you're in the right place. Make sure to subscribe and enjoy this episode. When I was nine, maybe 10 years old, my parents started a Friday night dinner ritual. And now for those uh, unfamiliar with the Jewish religion, this is known as Shabbat or the Sabbath, which is a day of rest that begins at sundown on Friday night. And, and Shabbat is an opportunity to bring together family over a meal, to say a blessing over the candles, wine, the challah, and to remember that even God needed a day of rest on the seventh day of creation. Now, despite the fact that we weren't very religious and despite my initial resistance to the mandatory nature of this event, especially as I grew into adolescence and spending time with my friends became my number one priority, I have a strong appreciation for the lessons that I learned uh, during this time spent with the, the family meals shared together. And one of my fondest memories and something my close friends and I still joke about is which of my friends or girlfriends was lucky enough uh, to get invited to the Brown family Shabbat, whether it was Domino's delivery or ribeyes off the grill. Likely my father was giving us a heavy handed pour of delicious red wine. And it always was a treat to share our family dynamic uh, with others that may not have had their own. So what at first often felt like a burden to have to spend Friday dinner with my family quickly turned into a privilege. The opportunity to have a home-cooked meal, to reflect on the week, and to share our wins and our struggles and to stay grounded in the reality of the things in life that really matter most, irrespective of the latest sporting event, the girlfriend drama, the house party, and, and so on. And so as a nutrition coach, as a husband, as a father of three, I'm excited to be able to share the value of the family meal with you and the impact that it can have on our children's health, on our family dynamic, on our overall well-being, and certainly the impact within our community. So why do these family meals matter so much? Well, they matter on so many different, different levels, right? The food habits that we form in our childhood are likely to stick with us through adulthood. So many of the ways that we eat today as adults, it was, was developed by virtue of our eating habits as a toddler, as an adolescent. Um, now, unfortunately, childhood obesity is at an all-time high. One in five children experience obesity as sort of uh, uh, determined by uh, body mass index. And that's to say nothing of uh, children simply being overweight, which is a significantly higher statistic. We've got an increasing number of distractions in front of us, children especially in terms of phones and iPads and televisions and, and so on and so forth, uh, significantly greater so than when you or I were, were children. Uh, and, and quality time spent together. You know, there, It's been suggested that 75% of the time that we spend with our kids in our lifetime will be 
uh, will be spent by the time they're 12. We'll be, by the time they're 12, we'll have spent 75% of, of the time that we're ever gonna spend together. Now, I don't know that where this, this statistic or data comes from. I don't know that I really subscribe to that too much. However, it certainly does pull on the, the cord of really wanting to maximize uh, the time spent with our children in the most effective uh, and committed way possible. And similarly is, is these opportunities to spend time with our children is it opportunities to teach them, to help them learn valuable cooking skills, to help them develop competence that's going to carry over into their everyday life. Uh, and, and help them build self-esteem and confidence. And so these family meals help our children and ourselves build our brain, our body, and our soul. So let's talk brain food. Right? Dinnertime conversation boosts vocabulary even more than being read aloud to is what some of the research suggests. In addition, is young kids learned in some of the in one of the research studies specifically, young kids learned a thousand rare words at the dinner table compared to only 143 uh, from parents reading storybooks aloud. We know that kids who have a large vocabulary read earlier and more easily, and older children also reap intellectual benefits from family dinners. For school-age youngsters, regular mealtime is an even more powerful predictor of high achievement scores than time spent in school, than time spent doing homework, than time spent playing sports or doing art. Uh, so this consistent association between family dinner frequency and teen academic performance. In fact, adolescents who ate family meals five to seven times a week were twice as likely to get A's in school as those who ate dinner with their families fewer than two times a week. So there's obviously some level of correlation and significance to how these opportunities to communicate, to eat healthier food, uh, and to learn from our parents uh, are initiated by virtue of these dinners. Now, of course, as I alluded to nutrition, is uh, these family meals do a body good. Children who eat regular family dinners also consume, they consume more fruits, more vegetables, more vitamins and micronutrients, as well as uh, fewer fried and soft drinks. So the children that are eating dinner with their families are less likely to eat junk food. Uh, they're less likely to be obese and more likely to make healthier food decisions later on in their life. And what we know from the research is that families that eat five or more meals together have children who are 25% less likely to encounter nutritional health issues um, than children who eat less than one meal with their families. So shared family meals seem to operate as a protective factor for overweight, unhealthy eating and disordered eating. That's a, a really, in my opinion, a really significant statistic is we can, we can impart our children with so much value in terms of how they're going to live their life, the decisions that they're gonna make just by virtue of spending quality time together and, and enjoying food together. And of course, soul food is, there's a consistent inverse relationship between the frequency of family dinners and high-risk behaviors in adolescents, teens, uh, substance abuse, sexual activity, depression, suicide, antisocial behaviors, violence, school problems, binge eating and purging, excessive weight loss, all of these things that seem suggested that these are on the rise can 
be alleviated by virtue of the frequency of these family meals. And we know teens who dine regularly with their families also have a more positive view of the future compared to their peers who don't eat with their parents. Uh, they have higher self-esteem. And uh, in one study of more than 5,000 Minnesota teens, researchers concluded that regular family dinners were associated with lower rates of depression and suicidal thoughts. And in a very recent study, kids who had been victims of cyberbullying bounced back more readily if they had regular family dinners. So there seems to be something magical about this mealtime. It's the most reliable way for families to connect. I mean, let's be honest, we are all very busy. There's a lot of stuff going on. Regardless of the age of the kids, uh, we're in an environment where most parents work uh, full-time jobs. And despite the fact that over the past year and, and then some with the the pandemic, uh, we've been at home more frequently, which hopefully hopefully has been a, an opportunity to significantly increase the rate at which we have these family meals. It really is with all of the other uh, seemingly high distractions. It's the most reliable way for our families to connect. It's the most reliable way for us to communicate in an environment that uh, eliminates, that should be eliminating distractions, the TV off, phones away from the table, iPads away. Uh, so that we can actually focus and be present with each other. And then also, and probably most importantly, is it allows us the opportunity to set a good example for our kids. Kids are going to do what we do. And so if we're in a situation where we're frustrated because our kids are acting a certain way, why they're, where they're um, not paying attention, where they're eating certain foods, um, a lot of this is behaviors that are, uh, have been passed on from us. It's just real talk. So in a survey, uh, American teens were asked when they were most likely to talk with their parents. Dinner was their top answer. Kids who eat dinner with their parents experience less stress and have a better relationship with them. So let's talk about healthy eating behaviors. And I promise I'm going to give you guys... Uh, some tangible tools to take with you to help you prepare the family dinner. Uh, but I think it's really important that we talk through some of these eating behaviors, routines, rituals, and how we can impart these on our kid regardless of the age. And within ourselves as well, because let's be honest, like I just said, oftentimes we are the example that needs to be set. So if we're talking about younger children, and I know there's going to be a... Um, a big difference in terms of the age of, of, of children and parents that are listening to this. But, you know, younger children, obviously, if, if we any of us have raised toddlers or preschoolers, they have strong food preferences, strong likes and dislikes. And, and these things can vary from food to food over the over a year, multiple years, and can go through prolonged periods of, of refusing particular foods that they may have previously liked. One of the ways that we can encounter these, these food-like, dislike issues uh, is by serving them new foods. So if we are working to help our children develop the palate to start to enjoy and, and willingly eat the foods that we want to serve them, the foods that we know are going to be healthier for them, we need to give them an opportunity to start to develop the taste for these foods, especially at a young age. So if they're the type of child that is only eating macaroni and cheese and chicken fingers and pizza, as an example, well, then one of the options is 
and, and certainly this would be something that would want to be addressed and, and implemented prior to the position where they're only eating these uh, certain foods, but serving them new foods and giving them multiple exposures to these foods with their familiar foods, with the foods that they currently eat. And what we know very clearly is that they need, as I mentioned, these repeated exposures. So it may take eight to 10 or more exposures to a new food before it's actually accepted by your child, depending on the kid. And we all have different genetic uh, predisposition to different tastes and sweetness and texture. Some of this might just be ingrained in our genetics, but studies show that children who are raised in an environment where all members of the family eat a variety of foods, fruits, vegetable intake, they're gonna be more likely to do the same. Kids are naturally curious. And so if they, and when they see you eating the foods that you want them to eat without you forcing it down their throat, they're naturally gonna to start to indoctrinate those practices especially if they're hungry. If they see other members of the family eating these foods, their natural curiosity will get the best of them. By virtue of giving them continued exposures to these foods, they're going to start to imitate the eating behaviors that they see. So mealtime is an opportunity. Uh, and then in addition, mealtime is an opportunity for these toddlers. In addition to the food is it's an opportunity for them to practice newly acquired language and social skills uh, and develop a positive self-image. It's not it's not the time, and we're all guilty of this. I'm just as guilty as everyone else, but it's important to share this information because it's very relevant, is, is not a time to battle over forced feedings um, or saying eat this or else or trying to shove vegetables down their throat. Rather, it's giving them an opportunity to try things out and repeated opportunities to try uh, and for us as, as a model to model the behavior. Now, it's important to have some food context here uh, because obviously children prefer energy dense foods, right? They, they prefer foods that are high in sugar, high in fat, highly palatable, highly refined uh, junk foods, if you will. And if given the opportunity to eat those, they're going to want to eat those. That's just our human nature. It's in our DNA. It's, it's what lights up our brain from a biochemical standpoint. So the food context strongly influences the child's food preferences because, you know, these foods, when we give children high sugar, high fat foods, oftentimes they're associated with one, pleasant feelings of satiety. So it makes us feel good when we eat high fat, high sugar, birthday cake, uh, you know, candy, cereal, whatever it is. It, it lights up our brain centers. And then two is often these foods are associated with special social occasions, right? Birthday parties and celebrations. And so it's important to, to establish some certain context around this food to the degree that, you know, foods served on a limited basis, but used as a reward become highly desirable. That's, it, it's pretty obvious that as humans, when we're restricted, we're going to want the things that we're not allowed to have. So uh, and, and especially under these circumstances of you can have your dessert if you eat your vegetables, right? That's creating a situation where we're starting to look at the children, our children are starting to look at these foods as highly desirable foods by virtue of the fact that there's stipulations around when we receive them or 
if we create some level of restriction around these foods that thereby make them more desirable. No treats in the house, right? So, so then what happens is when our children go to friends' houses, by virtue of the fact that they're never allowed to have these treats in the house, they're going to gorge on these foods and create this unhealthy relationship uh, with food happen. Coercing or forcing our children to eat foods can have a long-term negative impact on their preference for these foods and their eating behaviors. Uh, for example, you can't leave the house or you can't leave the table until your plate's clean, clean, right? You'll sit there and you will eat everything on your plate. You'll sit there until it's done. As much as it might make sense under certain circumstances to impart those that type of, of discipline, it's, it's actually setting up our children for um, food and eating behavior issues down the road. I can't tell you how many clients I've worked with who have been uh, kind of indoctrinated into this. I'm uh, psychologically, I can't not clean my plate. If someone gives me a plate with food on it because my mom and dad used to make me clean my plate now as an adult, you go to a cheesecake factory and they give you a 2,500 calorie plate. Well, psychologically, you're going to eat the whole thing because it's, it's part of your behavioral process. That's problematic. So we have to talk about the feeding relationship and where the responsibilities and the boundaries lie here is parents and caretakers are responsible for what children are offered to eat. So what they eat and the environment in which the food is served. The children are responsible for how much they eat or even whether they choose to eat a particular meal or snack. It's giving them the opportunity to choose by virtue of repeated exposures. It's our job to give them the foods that are going to serve them the best and give them the opportunity to develop the palate around. If the feeding relationship is respected, then feeding and potential weight problems can be prevented. So what's the food conversation as our children are growing is it's not so much around eat this because it's healthy for you. That doesn't mean anything to children. It doesn't mean anything to a lot of adults. Frankly, it's not a driver of, of motivation for us to eat certain foods. Uh, rather, as kids age, the emphasis should be on eating foods that will help them in whatever uh, respective context that, that they can resonate with, right? So what are the socially relevant issues? What are the appearance issues? What, what are, are achieving and maintaining a you know, healthy weight, having lots of energy, optimizing their sports performance? My daughter, Ava, loves gymnastics, everything about gymnastics. So for her to understand that the proteins that she consumes are gonna help her improve her ability to, to hang from the bar for extended period of time, to recover from workout to workout, that the vegetables and fruits that she eats and whole grains that she eats are gonna help give her good energy so she can get through her two and a half hour practice and continue to perform at a high level and make it onto the team that she's trying to make onto. For her, that's very motivating versus me telling her you have to eat this because it will make you healthy. Well, that doesn't, doesn't mean anything. Similarly for my five-year-old son, well, he loves superheroes. So for him, when we talk about quote unquote healthy food, we talk about how these foods help give him energy, 
help how uh, Spider-Man eats these healthy foods that help give him energy and jump from building to building and um, recover from injury, right? And uh, be a, a superpower. Whereas when he eats too much sugar, he loses his powers and he gets weak and he can't fight bad guys. To him, that resonates. Now, not always, but it's it's a, a step in the right direction. So we need to set expectations around our meals and around when we have our meals and 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 controlling the environment and, and routine as much as we possibly can, right? Is oftentimes kids get home from school and then they'll gorge on a snack and then not be hungry for dinner. It's our responsibility to ensure that there's enough structure and a framework in place and choices in place so that they can have a healthy snack, but also remain an appetite enough to that they're gonna eat what they can and should and want to be eating for dinner. Uh, they need to get plenty of physical activity throughout the day, plenty of physical activity. That's something that's going to stimulate their appetite. So if they're never hungry and they're snacking all day and they're never moving, that could be a situation around maybe they need to get more structured physical activity. We need to establish a routine and it's not only uh, family dinner nights, right? We, if we have Shabbat dinner, as I said, if we have taco Tuesday, if we go out to dinner every Wednesday, whatever it is, but there needs to be some routine within the, the family meal structure in terms of saying, well, Shabbat, we light the candles or maybe dinners at 6 PM every single night. And we like in the good old days, you ring the bell. Um, or uh, in the case of some of our family dinners, we, we sit down and we establish uh, maybe some families say a prayer in our case, we'll say, what is a win or something uh, good that someone did for you or that you did for someone else today to set a positive spin on the meal uh, that signifies that we have officially started our meal and it's time to eat, be present with our family. There's a great quote that says, children depend on the rhythm, rhythmic structure of the day, on its predictability, its regularity, its pulse. They benefit from dependability and regularity throughout childhood. Rhythms establish a foundation of cooperation and connection. We all know this. We all know this from raising children. If we're raising children, if we've raised children, we know this in ourselves from a productivity standpoint that we need structure, we need routine, we need repetition in order to establish consistency. And it's the same thing for kids. If we're trying to sleep train our kids, we have to have a bedtime routine. Uh, same thing for our meals. They have to know what to expect. And if we're all over the place, then we can't expect our kids to, to sit and be still if, if we're having a different meal time every single day in different situations. So let's talk meal planning and let's give you some solid guidelines from which you can start to work. Now, one of the uh, premises that we work from with my company, BSL Nutrition, is smart nutrition made simple. And in this particular case, it's meal planning made simple. I am of the opinion that we should always, always start as simplistic as possible from which we can build upon if it's necessary. And all of that starts with some level of, as I said, routine, planning, preparation in place. If we fail to plan, we plan to fail. That's just as much true around our family meal times and, and frankly, our meals throughout the day uh, than anything else in our life. And the KISS principle, keep it simple, silly, as we say in our house. So what I like to refer to as a PFC approved or protein, fat, 
carbohydrate approved meal plan. And in this particular case, we can very simply think about building our meals out, building our plates out and help our children understand what it means to build our plate out with a protein, with a carbohydrate, with a fat. In the case of a PFC meal, as we choose a protein, so in this case, it could be a, a pork chop uh, or chicken breast. Um, we've got some carbohydrate coming from our potatoes as well as carbohydrate coming from our green beans. And then we can make the assumption that there's going to be some fat in the pork chop. Maybe there's a little bit of butter on the green beans. Maybe the potatoes are cooked in uh, roasted in a little bit of olive oil or coconut oil. This is a very basic structure or framework that we can approach from meal to meal. So whether it's actually helping your kids build out their meals, doing a family meal plan, or even fueling yourself from day to day, from meal to meal as a means to have the best energy, stay consistent, stop snacking in between meals, lose weight, so on and so forth. This works incredibly well. One of the tools that we use in my house to help us plan our meals out is a meal planning worksheet. And if you guys are interested, you can simply email me um, and I'll have all the references here and I'm happy to share a blank worksheet for you. But the way that we structure this, uh, the way that we structure this is by virtue of um, the grocery store that we go to. So we tend to go to Costco and I'll be honest, I tend to order Costco from Instacart predominantly, but if I was to go, I've got the list set up and I'll, I'll highlight this or I'll, I'll zoom in on this on the next slide. And if you're just listening to this, um, we've got a, a chart and I'll share this as well in the show notes, but we've got a chart, a shopping list, if you will, that has protein. Uh, so it has produce, protein, um, dairy and eggs, drinks, frozen and deli meat and cheese, dry goods and other. And this is the way that I set this up is the way that I would walk through the Costco grocery store so that as I'm walking through, uh, I will be hitting each category in that respective order. Now, it's different from Costco as it is to Trader Joe's. So I've got Trader Joe's a different order. But then based on all of the shopping items, I've got my meal plans in place. And what I often suggest doing, and so I'm gonna go ahead and zoom in. I'm gonna actually jump forward a notch, but what I often suggest doing, so here you can see is my meal structure for and options for a given week. Now we've got in one category, we've got our quick meals. In other category, we've got our weeknight meals. These are gonna be meals that ideally we have as family sit down dinner. Uh, and then uh, similarly is, excuse me, our longer meals are going to be, sorry, bear with me. Uh, our longer meals are gonna be obviously meals that take a little bit longer to cook. Um, and likely these will be ones where we have more time. So it could be again, a Shabbat dinner, a Saturday or a Sunday night dinner, or perhaps a dinner during the week that I'm gonna cook a higher volume of food around that we can then utilize for leftovers. But in this particular case, we've got our quick meals. So these can be the ones on our crazy busy, whether I'm working late or uh, Christina's busy working on a house project. Uh, the kids are at their respective sporting events. We're all running out uh, around at our own cadence. These are the meals that we can easily put together. Even the kids can put together themselves in this particular case. They've got steak, uh, sirloin steak that we bought 
at Costco that's already pre-cooked. They can microwave some frozen Trader Joe's rice. They can have half of an avocado and they can put that together themselves. And it's a simple grab and go, eat it at their own pace. Now, obviously this is gonna depend on the age of your kid, but um, lots of options here. And so you can plug in the things that are gonna work best for you. Then the weeknight ones are gonna take a little bit of prep work, but they're still relatively simple. And all of these approach the PFC menu idea in terms of saying, okay, for one night, we're having grilled chicken with a green chili coleslaw. So that is, you know, we're, we're having protein from the grilled chicken. Uh, we're having a uh, carbohydrate from the uh, coleslaw and obviously vegetable from the coleslaw. And there's a little bit of mayonnaise in there. And maybe we could throw some avocado or a little olive oil in there if you wanted to for a little extra fat, or maybe we're having some your tacos and the kids are having cheese and sour cream on the tacos to have a little added fat. So you can kind of build it out however you want. And then we do a lot of instant pot meals, which I'll talk about in a second for our more for our quote unquote longer meals. And then just going back to our shopping list, I just want to show you our shopping list so that you can see kind of as I'm walking through the grocery store here, I've got everything in the produce aisle. Okay, here's everything that I'm going to grab that is relative to the meals that I'm going to be cooking for the week. And my suggestion would be to simply have three to five um, or two to three meals, frankly, for each category that you know you can put together uh, seamlessly. That doesn't require a lot of time and energy or thought. And if you want, then want to start to get fancy with things, start to utilize more recipes, um, then you absolutely can do that. But I think a lot of people uh, a lot of people struggle with trying to do too fancy and they get overwhelmed and then they don't want to go back into the kitchen and they end up eating out too frequently and making even worse nutrition decisions. And then I showed you, this is the list that I have for Trader Joe's um, as I walk through the store and both of these, and I'll talk about this in just a second, but both of these stores I love both for their fresh foods as well as the, the frozen options, the pre-cooked options. Again, we want to make this as simplistic as possible. And the beautiful thing about the fact that people are starting to demand healthier foods in our grocery stores, they're wanting to make better options. They're wanting to start to choose more organic, more grass-fed, more free-range, more cage-free, uh, more hormone-free, and so on, is these uh, supplier chains are starting to carry much more of these foods, which makes it that much easier for you and me to help our family make healthier decisions. Now, another way, and again, I just want to reiterate that what we'll do typically is we'll come up with our plan for the meals for the week, and then we'll go work backwards and we'll build out the shopping list accordingly. Because that way we don't uh, buy more than we need to, and we buy just enough that's going to hopefully last us through the week. The more trial and error you do with this, the more you'll start to develop your cadence for what's working, what's not working, where do we want to change up meals, which night are we eating out, um, which nights need to be the uh, throw it in the microwave and reheat it, which meals can I actually spend a little bit more time cooking for the family. Uh, another way to do this is having a whiteboard session. And we used to just keep a, a whiteboard right on the fridge. And Christina would say, what are we going to have for this week? What do you want to have? And we would just write down the dinners. Say, okay, for dinner, we're going to have uh, chili. We'll make a ch uh, crock pot chili. And we're going to have, it's going to be a ground turkey chili with red beans and um, 
you know, um, and and jasmine rice as an example, uh, and that way, then we put on the shopping list. We're going to have, we need to have two pounds of of lean ground turkey, two cans of kidney beans, and we already have a bag of of jasmine rice in the, in the fridge. So, or excuse me, in the pantry. So we don't need to worry about that. Or we're going to get the jasmine rice from from Trader Joe's that we just reheat in the microwave real quick. Uh, so plan out your dinners effectively, plan out your shopping so that you can be realistic and so that you can be prepared. Now, some of the tools that I recommend utilizing around these family meals, the, the Instant Pot, if you don't have one or, or a crock pot, I would strongly, strongly encourage you getting one. Um, I don't, frankly, I don't know many people that don't have them at this point, but if you're serious about um, uh, putting together your family meals in the most simplistic way possible, then it's a no-brainer. Uh, for kids that are picky eaters, having compartment plates can work well, whereby you can separate your foods. And especially when we're having uh, just protein, fat, carbohydrate, veggie, uh, you can give them a chunk of protein, uh, chicken breast as an example. You can give them some carrots in a compartment. You can give them some snap peas in a compartment or put the fruit in a different compartment and so on and so forth. Uh, cause sometimes kids don't like their foods touching. It gives them the opportunity to again, get more exposure to those foods and really develop their palate in a way that isn't overly, uh, well, isn't too overwhelming for them. Now I'd be remiss if I didn't mention some of the, uh, pre-prepared food that seemed to have worked really well for our family. And one of the things, you know, I think it's timely that I'm giving this talk because we are in the middle of a home renovation and we've been without a kitchen for literally three months now. Uh, and we've been making it work. Um, we've been making it work. We've been making relatively healthy decisions. Um, and I'm actually been very impressed with the fact that as our options are limited, the decisions that our kids are making are becoming more and more uh, impressive just in terms of um, they're, they're making good decisions when we don't have more junk around they're on their own. They're making better and better decisions. I'd like to believe because we're setting a good example, but also because it's been ingrained as they've gotten older is, is they eat what we eat for the most part. Um, it doesn't mean that occasionally, you know, they don't order off the kids menu. We don't end up cooking the Mac and cheese while we're eating something else. It, it happens. It's no big deal, but um, these pre-prepared foods have worked really well for us. Costco has uh, pre-cooked chicken breast. Um, they've got ro uh, rotisserie chicken. They've got grass-fed steak. They've got uh, hard-boiled eggs that are already shelled. Lunch meats, smoked salmon, pre-marinated meats from Trader Joe's where you can just pull it out of the package, throw it on the grill. They've, Trader Joe's has frozen rice and veggies and cauliflower rice and uh, things that you can just throw into the pan and reheat very quickly. And then of course, frets, fresh fruits and vegetables that are just easy to grab and go. Avocado, sauerkraut, salad mixes that you can even just take the mix, throw away the dressing because it's usually crap and use your own or make your own dressing and so on and so forth. So I've got a bunch of wonderful meal recipe uh, prep guidelines for you guys. Um, what I suggest you do is choose three to five easy meals per week, as I said, or maybe two to three for each category, like your quick meals, your, uh, your longer meals, and then sort of your weekly just go-to meals that aren't going to take as much time. 
uh, two to three for each and just put it on autopilot until you're ready to increase your meal diversity. I put together a Google document for you guys that's gonna have a bunch of different meal recipes um, and resources. One of the things that I wanted to share with you is a podcast interview I did with uh, my upcoming assistant coach, Joey Solowich, uh, who um, has, he's a master in the kitchen. He's put together a ton of incredible family recipes and he's a dude who walks the talk in terms of he has uh, two uh, young girls that and, and a family that he's always feeding and preparing healthy meals that involve a protein, a fat and a carbohydrate. So I wanted to make sure I share those as well as the podcast interview we did. That's going to be in the resources here. And I will share that link with you. Just shoot me an email if you want it and or I'll share it in the show notes below, um, as well as a PDF for probably 75 different crockpot recipes. Um, that are fantastic, that I think you will enjoy, that can be easy go-tos for you and your family that you'll enjoy. So I hope this has given you at least a little guidance and motivation to start and continue to reinforce your perfectly imperfect family meal. And most importantly, regardless of the food type or the food quality and regardless of the external stressors and, and the chaos that we all deal with every single day, Commit to giving your family the opportunity to learn and grow together and give your kids and or your grandkids the chance to learn from watching you embody everything that you'd hope they become. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this content valuable, here are four ways I can help you in your nutrition journey for free. One, grab a free copy of my Fat Loss Fix Guide at fatlossfixguide.com. Two, join my free group at smartnutritionmadesimple.com. Three, subscribe to my YouTube channel at smartnutritionmadesimpletv.com. Four, leave a five-star rating and positive review so that we can gain access to more nutrition experts ready to share their knowledge with you and ultimately help more people make smart nutrition simple.